0: Okay, this is Grayson Gilbert with The Course in the Chaos. I'm doing a special bonus episode. This is the the premium content, if you will, that we have referred to a number of different times. Now, obviously, I haven't been uh, given $3 million as it would cost for a Super Bowl commercial. However, uh, I will provide this to you free of charge today because I'm just that generous. So what I want to talk to you about today is the He Gets Us Super Bowl commercial in which I would say they fumbled the ball. Right, I'm going to use that pun in every way I can throughout this entire podcast. Um, but what I want to talk to you about is a simple reality that the he gets his campaign. If you if you're not familiar with it, I would actually suggest you do some digging online. There's a lot of different uh, deep pockets that this is all involved with. A lot of different people, organizations, SBC. Um, I think even. Gosh, I want to say Christianity Today, all these different people that would be more on the uh, left side of things, if you will, would be involved in financially supporting this organization. And it's been around for some time, but they've actually been contentious for a while in terms of the broader church and how they've received them. Um, But what's happened recently, especially in the past two years, is that they have aired a couple of Super Bowl commercials and they have been the topic of much contention. Now, Christians, non-Christians alike have actually argued about all this kind of stuff. But the most recent commercial itself is just a simple and artistically done rendering showing several photos of people that are washing the feet of those whom society might consider those on the outside, the disenfranchised, if you will. Uh, In the end, the only text that's actually offered up is equally as simple as the commercial itself. It says Jesus didn't hate. He washed feet. He gets us all of us. And so if you're the the savvy watcher, if you will, uh, the intended message is not all that hard to miss for those who understand what Jesus actually did when he washed his disciples' feet just before his death. Now, this was an act of selfless servitude. It was an act of love. He demonstrated the very reason why he came in the first place. Uh, His life was one where he emptied himself to serve the sons of men, even Judas, who would betray him for uh, 30 measly pieces of silver. And while all authority and power had been granted to Jesus Christ by the Father, he humbled himself in the form of man and took on the apron of a slave. And so when we consider this narrative in the scriptures, it's no wonder why the image of the very Son of God washing the feet of his disciples and even the betrayer has remained such a powerful reminder of his humility and love. And yet, this same image adopted by the Hegitsis campaign that aired during the Super Bowl commercial, for all intents and purposes, has caused no shortage of outcry. And so the natural question is, why? Right? Why are conservative Christians, or why are even some liberal Christians, having an outcry over this commercial? What happened was essentially that this became a point of controversy, uh, not in a broader public, if you will, but amongst those within the church. Now, many have been quick to say that The controversy in the church has been much the same as it was when Jesus was uh, alive in his own day, right? He upset the religious leaders of his own day, and the rationale has always been that Jesus Christ just simply upset the status quo, if you will. He went into the synagogues, and uh, he upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the modern church is much the same as it was during his own day, and that's why people are upset today. And so liberal Christians have been, uh, in many ways, latching onto that. Now, to be sure, there is some warrant for that charge, and especially when we consider particular examples of blatant hypocrisy. Um, but that, I would argue, is actually the ill-defined problem of our day, isn't it? Much like it's labeled as hypocrisy actually isn't at all hypocrisy. It's rather the off reason for why Jesus' own words are rejected and labeled, as in this actual commercial, as teaching hate and that's the rub. right? We have not really reached a point where the Son of God is taking on human flesh once more to reveal just how short we've fallen in understanding his holy word. We're at the point in our society where we actually have two functionally, and I would even argue, ontologically different gods we worship. One is the true biblical Christ, and one is not. But both sides argue over who is getting the details right. So what I would argue and you can take this or leave it for whatever stock you put in it, is that the same root reason why people fawn over stuff like the He Gets Us campaign uh, or over depictions of Christ in popular culture, like The Chosen, a show we did a podcast on not that long ago, is that the same issue is present. There is a wide-sweeping biblical illiteracy And the people behind ad campaigns like the, he gets this one, or even people behind things like the chosen intentionally play at this ignorance. In other words, what I'm trying to speak to is the fact that people don't read their Bibles as often as they should. And so what the broader public sees is a portrayal of Christ and a portrayal of scripture that is not actually in the Bible. Now, this is not new, right? We have seen all sorts of different depictions through popular cinema and TV shows over the past several decades where this has been the case, right? The popular portrayals anything but that a genuine Christian who seeks to live in submission to God's word. So often what they're portrayed as is basically a bigoted backwards um, or backwoods idiot who can't string a couple of coherent sentences together. And they're hypocritical to boot. So picture like Angela from the American version of the office. They are going around telling everybody in a very judgmental sense of what they can and cannot do. And yet they are doing the exact same things behind the scenes. Now, again, some of this might be warranted when you consider the masses of American evangelicalism who have claimed the Christian faith and yet done nothing to actually submit themselves to Christ. Now, The example that I think of back in high school is you had a bunch of people that were carrying around uh, skateboards, if you will, but they couldn't do an ollie. They couldn't do a kickflip. They couldn't do anything. And these were people we called posers, right? So the problem is not so much that posers exist. They do in every facet of life. You have people that fake it until they make it, as is the popular quote, right? In every single click of life, this is a reality. The problem is that in our culture today, especially, uh, people take the predominant focus that when it comes to the Christian world, um, the poser is the norm. In other words, it's an easy out for many who wish to turn their noses up at the Christian faith in general. And that's what I would argue is a problem behind kind of stuff like this. However, when we get to a commercial like this, And especially when we look at the broader public, the dilemma is that the Jesus that is portrayed by the posers, if you will, the quote unquote posers, is that uh, this is a Jesus who the public despises. It's the exact same portrayal of the Jesus they wish to laud in the public square, even though he is light on sin and judgment. He is heavy, heavy on grace and love, but not a grace and love that actually requires justice. It's a grace and love that requires a tailor-fit God who is essentially adopting the same standards of morality that mankind does, provided, of course, he changes with the times. He is not a God who is jealous. He is not a God who is just. He is not a God who is holy. And he is not a God who requires justice is met. In fact, the tailor-fit God that our culture deems is the true God is a God who gets us. And he gets us in such a way that we never actually come to a point of repentance and faith. He gets us in such a way that many can say along with the best of them, que sirah." And so the problem is God actually does get us and not just in the matter that the he gets us campaign advertises. That's really what I want to argue today. Obviously, God gets our frailty, our human condition, He understands that we are finite creatures who fall short and need grace. He understands or comprehends that we need help. Uh, However, this is not the full portrayal of the way that God says he actually gets us. So if you look at a text like Romans 8, 5 through 8, it all portrays us in our splendor, you know, in the way that God actually gets us. Now, the Apostle Paul writes, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God for it does not subject itself to God's law. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So take a look at the text. If you're able to you know, pull up your Bible, I want you to actually see four present realities that this passage actually just speaks to you here. And this makes it abundantly clear how God actually views us, how he quote unquote gets us, All right? So number one in verse five, those who live according to the flesh, again, read their sinful desires, have their minds set on the flesh. In other words, they have no desire for the things of God. They do not think of them. They do not comprehend them, nor do they think on anything else, but actually fulfilling their own desires. But Now notice what the Apostle Paul continues to say. He says the mindset on the flesh is death. Again, the mindset on the flesh is death. Now the natural result, in other words, for the one who goes his own way, which is every single man, woman, and child, apart from the grace of God in Christ, is death. The book of Proverbs puts it this way. uh, Every man has his own way, in essence, that he believes is right, but the end is death. Now, the end is not merely physical death, but it's actually speaking of spiritual death. So if I were to make that all the more clear, the one who is ruled by his own sinful desires and not by the Spirit will naturally and willingly go to hell. That's the reality that Paul speaks to here. But then notice how he continues. He says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now, to put it as bluntly as I possibly can, the mind that is set on their own sinful desires is at war with the God of all creation. Notice how he continues to describe this. They do not subject themselves to God's law or obey the law of God, for they're not even able to do so. And so this is not merely a statement on mankind's natural propensity For the things that actually lead them to hell, but their utter inability to do anything but follow the path to hell. And then finally, he says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Not that they may not, not that there's a potential that they will not please God, but they are unable to. They cannot please God. No excuses. No hemming and hawing, no equivocations, just simply they're quite literally unable to please God. Wholesale. So when you consider the full ramifications of it, the point is actually quite simple. Mankind, in his natural state, is morally bankrupt in every single way. He is in desperate need of salvation. Mankind does not have the desperate need for God to, quote-unquote, get us. Mankind has the desperate plight or condition that God actually fully understands our nature. He understands our rebellion, our hatred for him, and more. When you think of the book of John. Uh, in John three sixteen, everybody knows that verse quite well, right? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who might believe in him should not perish. And yet, Just a few short verses later, he talks about the reality that those in darkness have not understood the light, not because the light has not made itself manifest, not because Christ has not made himself clear, but simply because they hate the light. Now, the way Christ actually views mankind earlier in the book of John, John 2, 24 through 25, is he looks at the crowds and he does not entrust himself to men. And the answer for this is actually quite simple. He says, for he knew all things and knew what was in their hearts. That is the fundamental problem. When we look at the heart of mankind, as Jeremiah talks about it, it is desperately sick and wicked. And the question is, who can help it? Well, the scriptures give us an obvious answer when it comes to Jesus Christ. However, when we look at the He Gets Us campaign, none of that is present. And this is why so many of us are actually objecting to it. The fundamental problem when all is said and done is that when we present a very skewed portrayal of man in front of the watching world, the natural result is that you will present a very skewed understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ and arguably the Father and the Spirit and the Christian faith in general. What the he gets us ads are actually guilty of doing is what they've been guilty of doing from the start. It's a very soft portrayal of man in his sinfulness before a holy God to a culture that will not accept what God has actually said about the sinfulness of mankind and the holiness of God. And therefore, the natural result is that the culture comes away with a soft portrayal of who God is in his complete holiness. Now, none of this is to say that God doesn't, in fact, get us, right? Um, On the surface level, I could say God does get us, right? God gets us in more ways than we even remotely even comprehend. But this is a comfort and a terrifying reality if we actually stop to consider what that means. He considers us in our frame. He will not cast away any who are his own. He will not break the bruised reed nor stamp out the smoldering Right? Those are the words of comfort. They're wonderful promises that any believer can hold on to in the most difficult of times and even uh, the darkest of their days in sin. But they are only promises they can hold on to because God did, in fact, crush his son and afflict him in our place. And so that's what I would actually argue is the saddest part about this whole he gets us campaign. Not just the uh, Super Bowl commercial, but the ministry as a whole, what they miss is not that it highlights the fact that God is merciful, that he is kind to sinners, that he is forgiving. All of those things, God is. The saddest part is that it never actually gets around to presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is no good news beyond the fact that Christ is just this humanitarian figure, if you will. He's a wonderful guy. He did some wonderful things for his fellow man. But at the end of the day, we have to look at that and say that is not the gospel. Christ did not wash the feet of his disciples and even Judas to demonstrate just the fact that he put on the apron of a slave. He washed the feet of his disciples to show them that the kingdom of God demonstrated such a radical obedience that even the Son of God came to serve and not to be served. And arguably, the culmination of this cannot be divorced from the rite of the Last Supper, which is part and parcel to the washing of their feet. right. So in other words, what I'm arguing is that Christ's fundamental act of service was intrinsically linked to the symbolism built into the passion of Christ. His body was broken for us. His blood was spilled for us. In the Greek, it's the word hyper or huper, if you will, depending on what translation you use, or not translation, but rather pronunciation. But the reality is it talks about Christ being our substitute. He took our place upon the cross where we could not do that ourselves. And so when we look at these things, we cannot divorce it from the fact that the foot washing to the disciples was linked to the fact that Christ actually died in the place of those who would be deemed as sinners, deserving the wrath of God under his just condemnation. And I would also say you cannot marginalize this into a simple and yet vapid 12-word tagline at the end of a Super Bowl commercial that feigns Christian nobility while adopting the lingo of a culture that hates the gospel. So what do I mean by that? Okay, go back to the He Gets Us Super Bowl commercial, right? Christ did not preach hate. What he did preach, though, is repentance and faith in himself as the Son of God, who came to take the sins of those who believe upon him, that they might be forgiven of their sins and no longer fall under the wrath of God. However, that is the precise same message that this world deems hateful. You cannot faithfully portray the washing of feet for the drunkard or the homosexual, the liar, the glutton, the sexually immoral, or anybody else for that matter, without portraying the Savior as one who calls sinners to repentance and faith. That is the first words of the gospel. In the end, what we look at is we have Christ, who was not crucified because he washed the feet of the marginalized and disenfranchised. He was not crucified because he said, I get you. He was crucified because he preached a message that every single man, woman, and child must repent and believe, or they will perish in hell forever. And that is the message this world despises. It's ultimately why I would argue that the He Gets Us Super Bowl commercial, the campaign, the ministry as a whole, falls woefully short. And yet, the irony of it all, what I would say is even more sad is that all of this message is lost in an unbelieving world, not just because the gospel wasn't actually preached. I mean, that's the fundamental key component of it. But they have no actual significance of the foot-washing ceremony. Right When Christ washed the feet of his disciples, um, in my mind, I look at that and I say, that's that's an in-house story. That's an in-house narrative where people within the church can understand that. And so for all the effort to push aside the controversial message of the gospel where they're saying we want to win people to Christ, Um, this is what the He Gets Us campaign is all designed to do, it actually fails to communicate outside of the Christian bubble to those who have no clue what this is all even about. So even in its own purported goal, the He Gets Us campaign doesn't just fail in communicating the gospel to an unbelieving world with a $3 million message in Super Bowl, they actually fail to bridge a cultural contextual gap that they have all been about to begin with. When you look at it on the whole, I, I don't want to say that I would laugh, but it's one of those things that I actually find incredibly sad. Uh, the reason for it is simple. We can contextualize the message as much as we can possibly do, and try to capitulate to the moral bankruptcy of our culture. We can try it in different ways of saying, no matter who you are, where you're at, Christ, quote unquote, gets us. Uh, At the end of the day, though, if we do all of that, and yet we can't even communicate why Christ would wash the feet of his disciples as an act of pure selfless love demonstrating what he is about to do on the cross and how he's going to defeat sin, death and Satan in his resurrection we have fallen incredibly short to use another pun we have fumbled the ball so thank you for listening, I hope that's helpful to you today, Uh, I hope as you are considering different things like this especially this organization you are looking at it with much scrutiny and much discernment and actually asking the question, does it align with scripture? At the end of the day, that is all we are called to ask. And so I hope that you have enjoyed this short bonus episode. Again, premium content here at The Course in the Chaos, uh, free of charge. If anybody would like to donate $3 million for the next Super Bowl commercial, we will happily provide a meme for uh, you know Super Bowl 2025, whatever that might look like. All right. Well, thank you very much, and I hope you have a good day. Bye.